Spine, how books are put together. I'm your host, Holly Dunn, and in today's interview, I'm talking with Kristen Radke, who is a cover designer, but also a graphic novelist and art director for The Believer magazine. Now, Kristen is the author of Imagine Wanting Only This, which is a beautiful graphic novel, and we discuss that in this interview, as well as how she works with other comic artists and how she chooses artists to work with for The Believer. Without further ado, here's Kristen. Yeah, um, so I, uh, my first job, my first professional job after grad school was at uh, this independent publisher called Saraband Books, which is located in Louisville, Kentucky. And I started working there when I was 24, about, about 24, 25. And I, I wanted to design book covers. Um, I didn't really have the opportunity to do so. I was the publicist, but I slowly started designing like ads for the internet and ads for, um, to advertise the books for in print magazines and then it sort of developed over time. So did you study design then? I didn't study design. I, um, well, I took a lot of design classes in college, but my degree was in journalism. Okay. So does that impact your design in, in any particular way? I think because I'm also a writer, I am very sort of sympathetic to how hard the design process can be for a writer. Mm. I think um, depending on the writer, a book cover can either be like the, you know, getting the the comps for the first book cover can either be like the most exciting or the most kind of devastating day. You know, I think writers have these ideas sometimes for book covers in their heads that just can't exist because they're they're remembering like every favorite book cover they've ever had that they've loved and sort of wanting to see it all in one place. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm sympathetic to that. I understand that feeling. Of course. I haven't really thought of it so much from the author's point of view. Usually I'm trying to think of it from the, the publisher's point of view. But right. Yeah, it must be it must be really tough, especially if you've got an idea in your head already of, of what it what it could be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know some writers who they'll write like towards a photograph or they'll pin up a photograph while they're writing and they have it in their mind as like, this is going to be in my book cover. And then ultimately, you know, publishers nix that right away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. So, I mean, obviously, your your journalism background, that really feeds into your graphic novel writing. Um, yeah. And we will get to that in a bit. Uh, but first, I wanted to just talk about what your process looks like as a cover designer Um, because that's primarily what we talk about here on spine but um, I'm so interested to hear about your your experience of of writing as well um so yeah what what does the process look like it's really different for every uh every project sometimes I feel like I have exactly a clear version in my head for what the big book cover should be and sometimes like my first you know, I usually don't get it in the first try, but I might have an idea of like, you know, if I know I want to do some sort of lettering for on the cover with a certain kind of background, I can get, you know, like a couple different versions of that and maybe hit it the first time. But then other times it's like, you know, I'll go through 10, 20, 30 different versions and some of them will just be hor like truly horrible, like the deeply embarrassing, like doesn't work at all before I finally hit it onto that right one. And then sometimes I might think an earlier version isn't working and then I'll come back to it later after I've went through more iterations and there's something there that's actually um, sort of at the center of it. But I'll start sometimes with really crude hand sketches just so I can get the idea out. And then I will start usually working in Illustrator or InDesign. So how much of this 
gets seen by the kind of the rest of the the publishing team or the art director or whoever's whoever you're working with well i used to send a lot of different versions when i would turn in a book cover i used to send in you know as me- kind of as many as i had done and i found that that a lot of times kind of set us backwards because then sometimes publishers are like let's take the text from here but the color from here and the illustration from here and all of a sudden you have this like totally jumbled mess so i sometimes i'll now just send two or three versions yeah so a lot of those just early sketches that's just for your own reference exactly and then what once you get those that feedback is, is there usually a lot of back and forth between you and the publisher it depends yeah it really depends on who i work with i mean i work primarily with small publishers i really like working with small presses um i feel like sometimes there's less pressure to make a cover quote unquote sellable and you can just do something that's a little bit weird or um a little more artistic so it really depends i mean sometimes there's it's an immediate yes and sometimes there's a lot of back and forth yeah that that's true actually you do see a lot more uh, risks being taken, I think, by by yeah. smaller publishers. Yeah. Um. So, what are what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on recently? I really liked making the book cover for um, Dan Sheehan's Restless Souls. He's an Irish writer, great writer. I did the cover for the U.S. version of his book, mm. which is published by Ink Publishers. the The U.K. version is also really excellent. Um, I'm an usher who designed that, but it was it's really beautiful. Um, but for his was one of the covers that I worked on, you know, I probably did 20 versions of and they, they were just, it was just horrible. I had some idea that I was going to make like a mock-up of a beer bottle and it was going to be like on the beer bottle label, but like, it was just, just terrible. And then in the end it turned, I sort of did a rendering of a uh, wooden sign with the the title and author name carved into the wood. Yeah. And it, it does just look like it's been almost carved in with a knife or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of the mood of the book. So that that's actually one I was going to ask you about and what the process looked like for this one particularly because it does look like it's been it, it has been carved so that was my my main question was it I'm really jealous of of the publishing houses with the huge budgets where you could actually make something like that by hand and then photograph it mm. but I did my best with the digital version So so how how do you go about doing something like that is it in Photoshop Photoshop yeah, yeah. which Probably my least comfortable um, of the Adobe suite. I mean, that probably took me, to get it to look real, it probably took, I don't know, 10 hours, something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the result is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. So you said most of your covers, you tend to work in either Illustrator or InDesign. InDesign. Yeah. I mean, if I'm doing any drawing, of course, I work in Illustrator. Um, I do, I guess I have worked in Photoshop more. I mean, I, I used to just avoid, I had uh, a college typography professor who used to scold us if we ever worked in, in design because, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for typography because the pixels are square and blah, blah, blah. So I always really avoided it. And now I'm kind of realizing just the massive, um, scope of it as a tool, like the things you can accomplish are just insane, but it just, you, you just need such a knowledge of it. I think in a certain way I was kind of intimidated by it. Mm. Um, trying to get more comfortable there because the things you can do in terms of making something look three-dimensional or something is just so it surpasses so much what you can do in a program like uh, illustrator yeah i, I think it, it's really hard when when you've got a process set up to even comprehend the the scope of some of these other packages yeah it's it's quite incredible and i i found that most book cover designers seem to have their their one preferred program and what what is yours um well for for me it was photoshop 
and I've started working more on the iPad. So I work in Procreate, oh, but that works really nicely with Photoshop and then usually mm -hmm. finishing out the, the layout in InDesign. Um, but I've heard some people say that, oh, I wouldn't dream of doing a book cover in, in Photoshop or, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I really don't like Illustrator. I don't like working in, in vectors. Yeah. That yeah. just doesn't suit my workflow and the way my brain thinks. But other people seem to absolutely love vectors and wouldn't do anything else. Yeah, it's like the I'm just waiting for Adobe to put these all together in one giant program so that you don't always have to be moving between them all. Because I think the frustrating thing is that like the rules for each of them are different, you know, even like the basic navigation and like how you select something. So it can be like a little counterintuitive to move between the programs the way that maybe it would be helpful to be able to. Mm, yeah. You do sometimes find yourself in InDesign and going, oh, you know, that step back facility yeah, exactly. that you have in, in yeah. Photoshop. Can I do that yeah. here? Oh, no, I yeah. can't. Oh, dear, I'm going to have to start from scratch again. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. I made that mistake the other day. Yeah. So it's, it's quite fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's... Um, yeah, it does get a, bit, a little bit frustrating. And then you kind of think, hang on, which program I am, am I in here? Yeah. 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 So I, I'm just, I'm so impressed with how that looks and how real it looks. So I've got a, a list of, of covers that I'm particularly drawn to, but if there are any others that you want to talk about, just, just let me know. Okay. Um, so one of them is the Animal Strike Curious Poses. Oh, yeah. Which is Definitely. such a provocative title. And I think... Isn't it great? Yeah. yeah. You probably... There was probably the the temptation to do sort of weird-looking animals in, in different poses and be quite literal with the title. But I yeah. love how you didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I had a version, I think, of like a, um, of a lion wearing sunglasses or something like that, you know, in that <laughs> earlier one. But it felt too sort of on the nose. And the book is, it's a fabulous book. It's by uh, Elena Passarello. It's a collection of essays about infamous animals throughout history. And it's uh, sort of modeled after an old fashioned bestiary, which is like an encyclopedia of animals. Mm. And so I like, I liked the idea of then creating this sort of like collection of animals on the cover as well, much like you would experience when you read the book. Yeah. And it's got this kind of circusy vibe to it. Yeah. and almost like an old matchbox or something. Did you look at any of those kinds of things for inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted it to have that sort of vintage feeling. Mm. Um, this was another one that was really tricky to get right, and partially it was because I loved the book so much and really wanted it to, to work well. Yeah, and, and just the simplicity of the colours as well is is fantastic. Thank you. So with this one, is it printed on just on a... Is it on a dust jacket or just straight on a hardcover? It's hard to tell it's from on the a picture. Hardcover, yeah, it's yeah. paper over it's paper over board, mm. um, which I think was really right for it. One of the things I loved about you know now I just do freelance cover design, but I did that cover when I was the managing editor at Saraband, and one of the things I loved about that was that I got to manage the production the whole way through. So you oh, know wow. we would do like we did. Um, uh, the red on the cover, I mimicked with uh, fly leaves in the inside. So you'd open it and see this bright red. You mm. know, that's some of those things like, you know, you get a book in the mail that you designed, but you didn't design all the way through and you see immediately the things you would have loved to have done differently or something like that. It was just, it was so fun to get to spend so much time with each book um, and see them from through from beginning to end. Yeah. I think that that really shows when you, when you do pick up a book and, and see how it melds together. 
Yeah. All right. So then we've also got, was it Witch Wife? Yeah. So oh, this is another one right. that looks like it's been done as a print. Um, but is, is it digital as well? That is digital as well. So that I worked off of, um, I like highly, highly modified, uh, like a stock vector and then kind of redrew it from there. But I got my sort of inspiration from like a, just a vector on a stock website, which is something I did frequently sort of, sometimes it was like starting from scratch seemed so overwhelming and to have some sort of foundation to work from and then draw from was really, really helpful. Uh, And so was this in Illustrator? Yeah, I did that whole thing in Illustrator. Yeah, because I, I love the, the texture in there. Thanks. Yeah, it, it really does look like a like a woodcut. And, and I think that's the amazing thing with the way technology has advanced is that now I'll look at a book cover and I'll go, I don't know if this was actually made or if it's digital. Yeah. Whereas yeah. even a few years ago, it was quite clear that the definition between the two. That's true. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I... As at, when I draw, I find that it's hard to get the same sort of handmade quality in a digital drawing. Like it's just, it's just smoother. Like it just doesn't look, you know, the, it's mostly, you can tell in the line work, I feel like, um, you know, you mentioned vectors, like, especially if you're drawing a vector line, like, you know, a line with a pen just, it never looks like that. Or with mm. a, you know, like a felt tip just never looks like that. So I find there it's, it's harder for me to get that same feeling, but yeah, in this, in this particular cover, I feel like just the way that the lines were used. It was a little bit more handmade feeling. Mm. So that's drawing directly into Illustrator, is it? Yeah, I drew on a tablet for that one. Yeah. See, I, I'm fascinated by that process because I've, I've never done that with, with Illustrator. Yeah. All right, I think we'll move on to The Fix, which, again, is another one that it looks like, uh, it looks like a cutout. Yeah, that was, I loved making that cover. That was um, by Lisa Wells. It's a collection of poetry, a debut collection of poetry. And that one I started with, it was some sort of um, like mock-up template that I started from where it was just like, uh, it created like a shadow where you could put in like a shape and it would create sort of that realistic looking cutout shadow. So I started from there to learn how to kind of layer those individual uh, layers in Photoshop. And then I sort of started from scratch there. So do you find yourself looking at tutorials for how to do different effects? Yeah. Um, Constantly. I can never figure out anything that I've, for the first time, or maybe even like the third time without watching like a million tutorials from a different, it's also tutorials are so interesting because it's so interesting to get access to how different designers work. Mm. Like, If you've ever, you know, if you've ever opened up like a Photoshop or an InDesign or an Illustrator file from another artist, it's so interesting to see how they built it because it's different than how you did. Yeah. And so I think that tutorials are so interesting in that way because you'll see someone create the same thing that you would have created, but in a totally different way. Yeah. So do you find you look at a few different, different versions of the same idea in a tutorial? Yes, definitely. Um, partially because sometimes I'll, I'll kind of work through a tutorial and I just won't get the results I want. Like a lot of the sort of, especially if I'm trying to build something that looks real, I find that like a lot of the, particularly like the YouTube kind of stuff, um, that I, I find just the end result doesn't look that realistic to me. Um, so if if you're not looking at YouTube, where do you tend to look? I I think there's a really, um, I think there's some really good tutorials on Skillshare. It's just Skillshare.com. Yeah. I really, 
you know, they have some really great design, like Chip Kidd has a tutorial, you know, like they talk to a lot of, I think Peter Mendelssohn does. There's a lot of really great designers on there mm. showing access to their process, which is really cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I've never really looked at, at Skillshare for really specific things like that. Yeah. But that, that's good to know. Him, me and Muhammad Ali, which yeah, is a, a wonderful yeah. kind of musical title to begin with. Um, and it's, it's such a beautiful cover. So this is Saraband books. This is Saraband. Yeah. yeah. C- can you talk us through the process of this? What was the brief like? Uh, by Renda, Renda Gerard. So this mm. one was a story collection and story collections can be a challenge because they often cover such a huge range, totally different characters, totally different settings, maybe even really different time periods. So the challenge for me is, is like, how do you create a mood for the cover that fits the book, but maybe that isn't so narratively entrenched with the entire book. Um, so one of the books is about birds and the, the collection on its, on its, you know, whole is very vibrant. So the colors I think made sense. The thing about this cover though, is I used a stock photo and then, uh, I just got a book in the mail the other day that has the same exact feathers on the cover. So it's like, you know, I think when the goldfinch came out a few months later, there was like another book with the same bird on the cover, you know, like it's just Mm -hmm. the, the risk you take when you buy a stock photo, I think. Yeah, of course. Um, so did you alter this much? Again, it's, it's hard to tell from the picture. Is this on a, on a board? Like the that previous was, one? Um, that was paperback. Yeah. That was a paperback. But it's got a little um, bit of a texture to it. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's lovely. Thanks. And what I love about this is that there's been quite a trend of having white text with some kind of pattern or colourful yeah. background. But this one feels quite different from those, or from a lot of them that we've been seeing. Thanks. I'm not sure quite what it is, but... Maybe it's that that red and the and the green of the photo. Yeah, but I love the way it interacts with the feathers, the the, the text and the feathers. Yeah, that was really the challenge there, mm. particularly because I was at that point I was really only comfortable working in Illustrator, and it's really hard to work with photographs in Illustrator. Yeah. Did you? What sort of other concepts did you look at for this, or was it always going to be feathers? I did, I did a ton of different feathers. I did like illustrated feathers. I did, um, you know, like vector feathers. I did more realistic looking feathers. It was just like a big, bright, I tried to do one where I built the letters out of feathers that failed terribly. Um, just different versions like that. And I, I love the, the fact that the feathers are going upwards as well. Cause I, it almost makes it look like it's on fire. Yeah. That's interesting. Let's look at catapult because that's another one. It's so this is a short story collection. Yes. Uh, so it's fiction. And so it's fiction, short story collection. That was another one where it felt like I had to convey a mood rather than um, anything, any sort of narrative element. Yeah, that was from a, I sort of pulled that idea from a story about a teenager because I thought it was sort of like a scrawling handwriting, maybe the way a teenager might write juxtaposed against that sort of eerie, those eerie kind of strange colors, sort of like mm. muted a little bit. Yeah, and then that really bright uh, sort of red pink in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And the fact that the 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 writing is going down the way as yeah. well again gives it that really dynamic feel. Yeah, I find I always want to make text as big as possible, so I get very excited when I have like a one word title to work with, and I can just like blow it up. Yeah, big. Yeah, <laughs> you almost it feels like you want to 
tilt it on its side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. So are these stories ones that make you feel a bit off kilter? Totally. They're very, they're a little bit eerie. They're very um, kind of restrained. Like you're um, almost cold, but in like a really interesting way, like you still want to keep reading. So I felt like it was um, sort of the right mood for it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's definitely what I get from looking at that cover. Good. You're going to have to tell me how to pronounce this. Is it flood? Oh yeah. Flood. Flood. Yeah. So that was, um, that was one of those where I did like a million. So the artist or the author had this idea that he wanted to, um, he wanted to represent like, um, like a abandoned seventies or eighties mall on the cover. And I was just looking at all these like ugly photos of malls. And I was like, you know, I'm sure there's a designer who could make this look really retro and cool. But every time I'm trying to slap some text over these ugly mall photos, it just looks ridiculous. So I kept, you know, I just went through a million versions. I was trying to create like a mall sign with, uh, where like the, the title of the book would be like above some abandoned store. I mean, none of them were working. So then I thought like, what if, what are some elements of a mall, you know, like a discarded, um, merchandise tag. Mm. And so that's, why I made that. Yeah. And then there's this quite, is, is it quite an old carpet? Yeah. It's like kind of, you know, one of those terrible, you know, industrial carpets that you would never want to stand barefoot on. Yeah. It looks a bit threadbare. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. And and the fact that the the tag is looks a little bit beat up as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool. And the, just the composition of this, the way it's cropped off the side is it Thanks. It, and then it goes around on the back. The ah. I don't know if you have that photo on my website, but the so the back of the tag actually has the ISBN on it. The oh, barcode. Cool. Oh, that's a great idea. Thanks. Love it. All right, so I think we should probably move on and talk about your incredible graphic novel. Oh, sure, I Which think. I read the other day and I, I finished it. And I just I just felt completely bereft and devastated. <laughs> it was and just like, what what is the point of it all? <laughs> but it's, I mean, it, it's amazing when a, a text and, and images can make you feel so strongly you know whether whether it's joy or whether it's devastation you know I think that that really is the the sign of a a great book thank you so what what was the the catalyst that made you want to to write this in the first place well I I was I didn't really realize that I was writing it you know I was in writing school um I went to grad school for nonfiction writing um at the University of Iowa and I didn't really recognize that I was always writing about you know places that had gone through these the book is really about a personal and cultural obsession with aftermath and abandoned places and I didn't really recognize that I was writing about these places over and over again or that the places I was writing about had so much in common until I think a classmate pointed it out to me and I realized that I was had sort of started working on this project without recognizing it it's it's almost like that abandoned malls thing you were talking about yeah actually well. that's funny yeah kind of links in i mean it it, it makes sense that being a journalist and being an artist and illustrator that you would go for a, a graphic novel but was that what what brought you to that decision to to do it like that or was it just inevitable that this was the medium you were going to write it in 
Yeah. So it was, um, not, it was not what I thought I would be doing. If you would have told me when I entered grad school that I would have published a graphic novel, I would have been, I would have thought that was your information was incorrect. I mean, there's no way I thought I would have done that primarily because the prospect of making a graphic novel was just so overwhelming. You know, like I loved graphic novels, but I didn't really know them that well. You know, I loved, um, like kind of the big ones like Alison Bechtel and Marjane Satrapi, people like that. But the concept of creating a character that like characters that looked the same throughout the course of a book or rooms that looked the same throughout the course of a book was, you know, crazy. So it was, for me, it was like a slow coming around. And it wasn't until my last semester of grad school, I had a professor named Robin Hemley who taught a class called visual autobiography. And I just decided, okay, I'll try making a comic. Um, and that ended up being like the first, the beginning of the first chapter of my book. And so how did you, I guess, practice enough to be able to do, to sustain a character or characters yeah. and places throughout? Because that, that's something that I find incredibly um, daunting as an idea. It is daunting. Um, just redrawing. I mean, when I started, I would... I mean, it would take me forever to like the early drawings I made were terrible. I didn't realize that at the time, but I, as I was drawing the book, my drawings got better and I had to go back kind of and redraw some of the early drawings and like the drawing style sort of changed. Um, the drawings became a little bit more complex, but you know, I always use photos for reference. I'm not, not the kind of person that can just draw from memory. So I would have like people pose for me. I'd look at the photograph while I was drawing things like that. Like, so I almost always used models, um, for all of my characters because I can't imagine in my own mind, like figuring out how a, a person looks from every different angle, you know, on their face. I mean, it was just, to me, that's remarkable when people can do that. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And, and the, the fact that you're at the center of it, that must have helped as well. Well, it's easy when you're drawing yourself because yeah. you're always there. <laughs> No, so you're like always there to be a model for yourself. Lots of selfies. Yeah. <laughs> and the places as well and, and finding, you know, keeping those consistent, was that easier than the people? Um, well, the thing that I found hard was that, you know, I think so many comics are so simple and that's where they, how they work. Like most comics artists, like they'll, um, They'll identify like a couple of key elements from a room and that's how you communicate that it's a room. I'm still struggling with that. I find the need to like draw the whole space and I'm, I still have a hard time differentiating between like which, which pieces of information do we need visually to communicate something versus like what's sort of unnecessary. Um, my friend, the artist, Amy Kurzweil always tells me to stop drawing all the bricks. She's like, you always draw all the bricks, stop drawing all the bricks, <laughs> uh, but I can't stop drawing all the bricks. Yeah, where do you stop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for me, it's like when I think about things like that, if I'm drawing sort of quote unquote realistically, like then all of a sudden you realize how many things you need in a room and to sort of build out a room, suddenly you're like, well, what goes there? And like, you don't, it's not just like a bed and a nightstand and a picture on the wall. It's like also like the hamper overflowing and like the, you know, the weird assemblage of stuff on the nightstand and like the dresser door is kind of open. Yeah. So it's like building out the space. It's like all, all of a sudden you become like a set designer. And that I find to be difficult, very difficult. Mm. And of course, then it's got to convey something about the people who are exactly. in that space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in this graphic novel as a whole, it does feel like these spaces are characters in themselves. Thanks. So I think I think you've done a really amazing job of 
because you've got some huge spaces as well. Yeah. Like, just getting that sense of scale and, and then these very intimate spaces, as you were saying just mm-hmm. before. I mean, we've, we've talked about why, why this medium in general, but then you've got these photographs in there as well. Yeah. yeah. What was the, the reasoning behind that and using the actual photographs as opposed to... Drawing the photographs? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually don't really know. I just found that I... Like, I didn't even really think about what I was doing until people started asking questions like that. Like it was just sort of, you know, I was writing about history and to me it was just like, this photograph is so great. Why would I draw it? It's so, it's so exactly what it needs to be as it is. Mm. And so I think when that was the case, when it was just like this amazing historical document, I, I found a way to like kind of collage it into the drawing rather than sort of drawing my own version of the photo. Yeah. And that's exactly the word I would use is that it, it does feel like a, a collage, but I mean, I agree. It, it absolutely works. It's not a, a criticism at all. No, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it makes it feel more, I think, grounded as well, especially because your style is so uh, realistic. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's realistic, but then you've got, especially towards the end of the book, you start getting a bit more experimental. Um, yeah, with the way that typography works, and there's that one spread where you've got the figure on sort of lying on the ground and then all these questions around the outside and it's sort of this perfect illustration of how life feels sometimes yeah when you particularly when you can't sleep yeah Yeah. I think part of that was that it was just you know I was a few more years into making the book I mean it probably took me five years to make the book and at first I just didn't know how to do anything other than represent exactly what I sort of saw and like, I, I think that's something I didn't, I am still playing with a lot, like in, in future projects, um, just like departing from reality a little bit more, like allowing things to get a little bit more strange. And was there a temptation to go back and, cause you said that you did change things as you went along. Yeah. Was there the temptation to just keep going back and keep going through the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, I think if, if, you know, publishers didn't take books away from authors, probably we'd all <laughs> working on them forever yeah Um, yeah for sure but there was also this sense of because it was my first book I also think I was a little bit impatient to get it out um Mm. and and also to move on from it like it it had really consumed my you know it was like the thing I thought about most for five years and that's you know after a while you're like okay really seriously please take this away from me so was it a a huge relief to get it out into the world or did did you feel a bit bereft after it had gone I I was I was very I always I joked that I had postpartum depression because I felt as soon as I turned it in I sort of had this panic attack like what am I gonna do um I I remember I went to go see Ghostbusters with my friend and I came home and I got like the sickest I've ever been I had like a like a horrible virus for like a week I couldn't get out of bed it was like my body was sort of like like all the adrenaline was gone and I was just like purging or something yeah And then I was just like, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to occupy my time. You know, like I just felt suddenly like I was wasting time and I wasn't being productive. And then, you know, sort of it gets really exciting to start working on something new. Well, that might be the perfect segue into what is next? Are you doing more (laughs) more graphic novels? I'm doing uh, I'm writing a graphic essay collection right now, actually. Um, It's called CQ Essays on American Loneliness. Mm. And it's about um, loneliness in America. Yeah. And that is due to my publisher in December. My agent, we, I had a call with my agent yesterday and she told me she was certain I was going to turn it in early, but we will see. It's my, it's my summer project to finish it up. Yeah. 
and what a fascinating topic to explore. I think so. I think it's really um, interesting. I mean, people always think it's, my, my friends think it's weird when I say that loneliness is interesting, but it is. I mean, it's like this incredibly universal feeling that people don't really talk about that much, but that's sort of becoming more and more of a problem. Mm. You know, like the UK just um, appointed a minister of loneliness and the US Surgeon General called loneliness the biggest health crisis facing America. You know, I mean, it is this thing that's sort of gaining an unfortunate momentum in our lives. Yeah, and, and we definitely have seen a lot more, I guess, articles and, and publications about it. I'm thinking of um, The Lonely City. I love that book, yeah. yeah. So how, how do you take something like loneliness and illustrate it? Because I suppose there are obvious ways of illustrating loneliness, you know, having yeah. one person apart from others, exactly. but... Yeah. yeah, how do you do that without falling into cliches? Exactly, or without drawing the same thing over and over. So the project started as a four-part illustration series for The New Yorker's Page Turner, and I was drawing people sort of in isolated settings in New York. So it was like people surrounded by a lot of others, but who were clearly on their own. So I drew people like who'd fallen asleep on the subway, things like that, or who were like alone through their apartment window as someone passed by on the street. But that's really... Like, that's what really what the catalyst for the project was, but that's not the kind of drawings that populate their way through the book. So like one of the things I'm thinking about a lot is how do you like illustrate science and research? So that's what I'm really uh, working on now. So much of loneliness is, you know, the science of the brain and like, how do we represent that visually in a way that's not just like a chart in a textbook? Oh, wow. That, that's going to be, that's going to be quite <laughs> incredible. I hope so. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm already looking forward to, to reading Thank it. You. Thank wow. you. Um, so before we finish up, I do want to talk a bit about your role at The Believer. Yeah. Can you just give me a bit of a background? Absolutely. So I'm the art director of The Believer magazine, which is a bi-monthly arts, culture, and literary magazine. The Believer has an amazing history uh, for graphic artists. You know, Charles Burns uh, did the covers for, you know, 10 over 10 years. Um, we've had some amazing artists go through the pages. So when I took it over as art director, one of the things I really wanted to do was continue that and to kind of enlarge it as much as I could. So uh, now I um, edit like a 15 to 25 page comic section each issue, which is the most amazing gift. Like I feel so lucky to work for a magazine that has that. I can't think of another sort of consumer magazine that allows that much space for comics besides, you know, purely comics magazines. And then I work on editorial art and things like that with um, other artists. But it's so fun because I get to collaborate and so much more than I do when I'm just working on my own work. And, and curating something like this must be, well, it must be very difficult for starters. How do you choose artists? Do people submit art to the believer or do you go out and look for people? People submit art. I would say that 70% of it is probably me finding artists that I want to work with and writing to them and asking if they'd like to contribute. I mean, it's sort of like, I ha I definitely can't lie. I, the art that most of the art that's featured, or I would say maybe half or a little more than half of the art that's featured is, is just stuff that I love aesthetically. Like it's definitely skewed towards just things that make me feel make me feel something. Mm. Um, but I do also try to, to work beyond sort of my aesthetic sensibilities and recognize you know, maybe this is exactly the right aesthetic style for this piece, even if it's not like the thing I would hang on my wall. Yeah, that must be really hard. I think I'm getting better at it over time, for sure. But it is it is hard because you just, you know, there are certain things I gravitate towards, like 
really rich, deep colors. And, you know, I skew more towards, I, I say I, I skew more towards quote unquote pretty art. Like I like comics that are very sort of visually arresting. Mm-hmm. And so much of comics is like a little bit more kind of brash in its style. And that's often the style that it should be. So I feel like I'm sort of just opening up my sensibilities too. Yeah, but I suppose your your aesthetic style and your taste becomes the magazine as well. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's true. So people come to expect that. Yeah. It's interesting as well. I was looking at um, some of the some of the comics on here and for instance everyone is in love except me which oh, I love has, that one. That's yeah one of my favorites. and it kind of reminded me of some of the themes from from your graphic novel as well yeah yeah so there's there's definitely a sense of continuity there yeah that's a comic from the artist Gina Weinbrandt she's fabulous I, I think her colors too are so cool like they're very they're sort of very 90s and interesting yeah as sort of purples and and mint greens exactly yeah Fantastic. And so uh, how many submissions would you get for for The Believer? It's a huge range. I mean, it's probably like, you know, I probably get like five serious submissions or maybe like 10 serious submissions a day, probably. Wow. Of art uh, exclusively and then more for comics. Um, But with comics, you know, I like to work from, you know, I'm generally like I'll approach an artist who I really like and then say, you know, do you have any ideas? And we'll sort of throw, spitball some ideas around and then we'll turn that into kind of a concept and then we'll turn that into a storyboard or a script and then we'll turn that into sketches and then we'll sort of get to that final stage. So it's often a really long process. What do you look for beyond the the aesthetics? I mean, obviously I for, it's a, it, it needs to have some meaning behind it. Exactly, I, look, I think I look for an idea. Like I don't just want something that tells a story unless that story is like, you know, one of the best stories I've ever heard. I like something that has that sort of that deeper meaning to it for sure. And I'm, I'm so, I'm really interested particularly in nonfiction comics now. Like I'm, I'm very interested in like, you know, what can comics journalism do? What can comics memoir do? Things like that. Yeah, no, it is an incredible medium. Yeah. And it's exciting to see so much more of it happening now. So too. Or yeah. maybe, maybe it's maybe it's always been there, but it, it feels like it's it's out in in the mainstream a lot more. That I'm seeing a lot more of it. Yeah, I agree. And and being somebody who's was never into comics as a as a child or a teenager, and I'm finding myself really drawn to to that medium, and especially you know just little little vignettes of life um, like the everyone is in love and except me one that just have you know that they're so pithy and they they just give you this glimpse into somebody else's life and feelings that are so universal absolutely I mean I think glimpse is a great word for it because the thing that I really love about comics is that you should be able to look at it and sort of feel something instantly or understand something instantly which is something you just can't get from text you know you really have to invest for a moment in text which is really valuable as well in prose but I like that you can immediately open it and you're there right away yeah and that that must be such a hard thing to create as well yeah I think so I mean some artists are just fantastic at it though they can just transport you right away and I think that's the big challenge is like the immediate creating that immediacy yeah although they've probably been working at it for years to get to that point (laughs) yeah and so is it Instagram that you use to find new artists? I, I do find a lot on Instagram. I find a lot on um, 
some sort of like, I I'll start looking on databases. There's some, um, there's a couple of great databases. There's one called cartoonists of color. There's another, um, for queer, um, and LGBTQ plus artists. I love, um, sort of being able to scroll through thousands of artists and just find brand new work. Yeah. And I think that's also so great about, uh, the visual arts is like, it's so immediate. You can just kind of move through so many artists so quickly in a way you couldn't, you couldn't really discover writers in that same way. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And so for somebody who is wanting to, to get into doing what you do, writing comics and, yeah. and, and may, maybe being featured on The Believer, maybe that's their, their goal. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to them if they're feeling a bit stuck or they're just at the beginning of their journey? obviously to, to, to work at it, uh, incessantly. But I think also when you're presenting an idea to, to have a really concrete idea that you're, um, sharing with a, with an, uh, editor. And I think making it as easy for the editor to say yes as possible. Like an editor is always looking for a reason to say no, because they get so many submissions. So like even basic things like attach, you know, attach attachments of your best work to it. Um, say not only like what you want to make, but why you think it's great for that magazine stuff like that. Like mm. just try to, try to make, sh- try to make sure that they have fewer reasons to say no to you and then yeah. keep trying because rejection really truly doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, it's, it's advice that we hear a lot, but I, I don't think it, it necessarily sinks in. <laughs> You know, yeah, you just have to keep trying. It always feels terrible every time, yeah. but that's okay. Mm. Yeah. And what about anyone who's struggling to find their own voice within comics? Because obviously that's that's the key thing is is having something to say. You you can't just draw a pretty picture and call it a comic. It needs to have some kind of message. I think um everyone should write and draw their obsessions. Like what do you know more about than anybody else? Like right into that. You know, I have someone who's drawing a comic for me about the band ABBA for our upcoming music issue. And it's amazing, you know, and it's just like, um, it comes from this point of just like obsession and fascination and like the sort of that energy is just in the piece as a result. And then I think also, um, you should just read like crazy, like read every comic you can find. And I think you can also sort of learn by mimicking at first. And suddenly I think your own styles will emerge. Is it almost like making a mood board of all the different things that you love and, and picking totally. and choosing? Yeah. yeah. I think it, that's the same in, in, a, in a lot of different mediums. If you're trying to find your voice that you know, it starts with taste and yes. figuring out what, 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 what you love and what, why you love those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Going from there. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with sort of, mimicry in the beginning to learn kind of what feels comfortable to you. I mean, I think like, I remember, you know, even when I was reading prose back in college, I would love like the sentence structure of, you know, a great writer and think, how can I structure a sentence in that same way? You can sort of use models, um, for comics as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even, I suppose you could look at the composition and and break it down into, okay, well, what, what what does the storyboard look like? And why does it, why does it work? But I haven't seen a lot of resources out there. Maybe it's because I'm not within this comics world. But where where would you go to learn more about making not just comics, but 
sort of personal experience comics. Right. There's a couple of um, great books. There's a book by Tom Hart about making a uh, graphic memoir. Oh, and wow. there's like the, um, the, like the old standbys by um, Scott McCloud um, called making comics and understanding comics. And I think those are pretty essential to get started because it just teaches you basic things like, you know, how, like you mentioned composition and stuff like that. Those things you just really need to be thinking about. Well, thank you for enlightening me on on a bit of, of this world because I mean I've, I've read a few graphic novels and graphic memoirs but I really don't feel like I, I know that much about it so well I hope you'll read more yeah I, I know because I always love them when I do I mean yeah. Alison Bechtel obviously is yeah in, incredible and yes. um, there's one by Meg Fitzgerald Long Red Hair yeah. which just yeah. really spoke to me as well oh, I just need to read more of this stuff yeah it's fantastic and I've got new, your next one to look forward to. <laughs> Thanks. Wonderful. Oh, well, thank you so much for this. Thank you. This was so fun. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Please be sure to rate and review us too. This show is hosted by Holly Dunn and edited by Eric Wilder. Our theme song is Sweet Berry Wine by Blue Wednesday. And Spine is a production of Spine Magazine. For show notes, articles, audio and video about the enormous talent that goes into creating books, visit spinemagazine.co.